0: Hello. Welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, it is great to be with you. My name is Brandon. If we've not met, uh, welcome. If this is your first time, maybe tuning in, welcome back. If it's your second time, we are in week three of our study of Galatians. We actually started our summer theme four weeks ago. If you're kind of parachuting in, it may uh, be good for you to have some context. Our summer theme is, uh, comes from James one twenty two. but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we simply ask this question, what if we all did this? You know, what if we didn't just study the Bible or, you know, listen to our favorite preacher outside of uh, Pastor Aaron Sutherland or, uh, you know, our own personal study or a life journal study, our own devotions? What What if we both heard the word, studied the word and actually did it? Uh, you know what, what would happen in our in our life, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our community. Uh, what, what what if what if love wasn't just some theory? What if the you know some thirty or 40 one anotherings in scriptures uh, in scripture to love one another, bear one another's burdens, to be kindly affectionate to one another, to give preference to one another. Uh, what, what if those weren't just words on a page, but we actually did them? What what if the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five that we're going to study here in a couple of weeks? What if that wasn't just theory but we actually went out and did it what would what would happen so that that's our thing to get this done we decided that we would study two books of the Bible this summer Galatians and first Thessalonians to see what maybe the Bible would encourage us to be about not as a matter of salvation but because of salvation, And so chapter three of Galatians today, what we're going to do is we're going to read it uninterrupted and then I'm going to unpack and kind of tease out a couple of things. So here we go from the New Living Translation on your screen. Oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> Paul starts chapter three. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death On the cross. Let me ask you this one question Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? The Apostle Paul clearly did not read uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. After starting your new life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? How many people do we know? Maybe how many people tuning in? You've tried uh, to become perfect. You've tried to add up in God's eyes by your own human effort. Verse four, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obeyed the law? Of course not, Paul says. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ in the same way. Now he quotes here. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. We're gonna come back to verse seven here in a minute. That's a lightning rod statement. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Verse 10, but those who depend on the law uh, to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, "Curses everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Think of maybe a legal contract. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. Thousands and thousands of years ago, Paul is saying, Abraham received a promise through faith, not through works, and it all pointed to a descendant. His name is Jesus. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? That's a great question. If we already had the promise, why would you insert 430 years later the law? He anticipates this question from them and he answers it. It was given alongside. Remember that, that phrase, that word alongside. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised, that is, again, that is Jesus. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? He anticipates another question. Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it, by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. That he would might, you know, he might be have in mind Romans, you know, 3.23 that he would write later. Uh, for 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 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says here that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was made available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was the guardian, our guardian, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law As our guardian. Verse 26 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slaver, free male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true, uh, true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So a quick uh, recap of kind of where we've journeyed in Galatians, especially for those, maybe this is your first Sunday, you're kind of parachuting in to our series. Uh, Galatians was written very early on. Maybe uh, the Apostle Paul's first letter was written by Paul, uh, who certainly was a character in biblical history. And he wrote it to not just a person or one church, but to a group of churches in what would be modern day Turkey, kind of South Central uh, Asia a region known then as the region of Galatia. And he, he, he writes it largely for two reasons. Number one, to refute the Judaizers. And that that phrase means um, of the Jews. And so these Judaizers were coming in and trying to make kind of Jewish converts out of these Gentiles. You, you, you need to become of the Jews. You need to become like the Jews, especially in this arena of circumcision. And then the second reason that he wrote it is to clearly define what we would call justification by faith or the doctrine of justification. And friends, listen, if we do not get the gospel right, two very important things at least do not happen. Number one, sinners aren't saved and God is not glorified. And so these Judaizers, they're attacking the apostle Paul personally. And because of that, not not just his doctrine or his theology, but they're attacking his apostleship. uh, They're attacking him personally. It becomes personal and passionate and uh, explosively polemical and argumentative for the apostle Paul. And so I I, I think I could make the case that if Paul had not won this argument, if you will, boy, who knows what kind of gospel we would have today. The rhythm of Galatians really, if we were to put it in maybe three sections, Galatians uh, 1 and 2 would be the personal and then Galatians 3 and 4 would be the doctrinal or the theological and then Galatians 5 and 6 we would probably label as as the practical, kind of a, uh, a common sequence and a way of thinking for the Apostle Paul. We mentioned in week one that our big idea is Jesus plus zero equals the true gospel. Uh, I mentioned uh, in, in subsequent weeks that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything in our life. So we dive in this week and next into chapters three and four, the doctrinal. And as we dive in, there are two important things that I want us to understand about the Apostle Paul's argument that we just read from Galatians three. In fact, if I were uh, teaching a class on Galatians and you are all Bible college students, uh, I would make sure that this is on your pop quiz. I would put it on your midterm. This would be on your final exam as well. Uh, Number one, Paul argues from the law to refute the law, very important. Number two, he argues from historical sequence and opposing principles. Again, a historical sequence, that would be like um, Abraham comes first and then Moses and then Jesus. What is the sequence? And then number two, opposing principles. So uh, the promise, the opposing principle would be the law. We'll come back to that in just a second. So section one, this idea, the doctrine of justification by faith. You'll remember, I talked about Luther in uh, week one. Uh, Luther loved Galatians. And he said this about this idea of justification by faith, you know, as he's thinking, he, he actually is quoted as saying, we need to somehow with, with regard to Christ followers today, figure out a way to beat it into their heads continually. (laughs) In other words, we're made right with God. We're justified in God's eyes, not through works, not through uh, anything, but the idea of trusting in Jesus. Trusting in God Um, on your screen is a picture of um, what is known as the Sancta Scala, the these the steps that um, is believed to be the steps that Jesus ascended when he was on trial. And it's become in church history a bit of a pilgrimage where people will, you, you know, they're crawl up these steps on their hands and knees and they're praying. And and part of Luther's testimony is he was actually ascending the Sancta Scala when he heard the Spirit of God say, Martin, it's not of works it's of grace and this launched us into, uh, this was kind of the basis for the Protestant Reformation which I think turned about 503 years old this last October 31st. And so Paul's argument of justification by faith actually begins in the previous chapter, chapter two, that uh, Pastor Duane walked us through last week. If we look at verse 16, the Apostle Paul kind of sets things up to launch us into chapter three. He sets us up this way by way of review. Yet we know that a person is not, count the number of times he uses the word justified. (laughs) Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith also highlight the word faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It's almost, Cove Church, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul hits like this passionate, writer's block. He Almost this circular argument where he says the same thing three different ways essentially that were not justified in God's eyes by any way other than through faith in Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to define this word um, justification and this word faith. I think that would be good to do since it's essentially Paul's entire argument through the book of Galatians. Justification, it means to vindicate It means to declare righteous. How about this? It's to put someone in proper relationship with another. And isn't that what we're after, right? Isn't that what your friend is asking you who doesn't maybe know, they don't know Jesus, but they have some spiritual questions. But the bottom line question is, how am I made, put in proper relationship with God? And then this word faith, it's faithfulness, faithfulness, it's belief. It's trust, with the implication that actions based on that trust may follow. But I want us to cue in on this. It's belief. It's trust. Paul is saying we're justified. We're put in proper relationship with God simply by our trust and our belief in Jesus. So this doctrine of justification by faith is at the core of everything we believe. I want to take you maybe back into the Bible college uh, classroom again. And and I want to look at... um, something some words called dogma another word called doctrine we've used that a few times and then maybe this uh, little greek word adiaphora so let me illustrate this this way if we put a circle up on the screen and we throw everything we know and believe about christianity the bible about jesus about the songs we sing about the theologies we and doctrines we throw it all in this circle kind of mix it up one great big soup and then we create some concentric circles to uh, to kind of bring some order to this. At the center of everything we believe, we might call that dogma. And then the next concentric circle out would be uh, maybe this idea of doctrine. And then the next concentric circle out would be adiaphora. And so um, the, the word dogma, it means this, it's a principle, a set of principles laid down by an authority as incontrovertibly true. It's set. There's nothing we can do about it. It is set. This might be Within the world of Christianity and faith, you know the incarnation. We don't mess with that. Jesus came, uh, you know, you know, kind of God in a bod. Jesus came to Earth to live as a human being. Uh, He was resurrected on the third day. We don't mess with that. You know, the idea of of a triune God in all of its uh, mysteriousness. We still believe in the threeness of God. How about this? God created everything. We believe in in creation. So th- th- those things, I think many theologians would say, those belong in kind of this incontrovertibly true circle dogma. Uh, doctrine, the next circle out, a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church or a political party or, you know, maybe another group. So within the church, what what would land there? Maybe uh, the baptism, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or, um, you know, the second coming of Jesus or predestination within churches and from denomination to denomination, different movements. We're going to view these slightly differently um, depending on how we you know kind of interpret scripture but that first circle we're all in agreement on and then this outer circle adiaphora it actually means indifferent things things that eh, you know it, it doesn't have a lot to do Let's say with my salvation. So maybe the meaning and nature of angels, or child dedications, or baptisms. You know, do we sprinkle? Do we? You know, is it full immersion? Pastor Brandon, why are you bringing all of this up? My, you know, my, you know, my eyes are rolling back in my head. Here's why I bring it up: because this idea of justification by faith, the reason the Apostle Paul is so passionate, and he would begin Galatians three with you how could you be so foolish is because justification by faith lands squarely in Paul's dogma circle and it is under threat and frankly as I understand scripture uh, certainly nowhere near the level the apostle Paul did I have a tendency to agree with him and what's interesting about this idea of justification by faith it's i think for many people it's one of the most difficult to accept because we have to admit a few things we have to admit that we can't do it on our own we have to admit that maybe my good is not good enough or you know that 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 we need a savior or some some sometimes it's just hard to maybe you know resonate with original sin or you know adam and eve these two people some you know how many thousands of years ago who um you know uh sinned and somehow it's it's tied to me i let me illustrate this this way i uh there was a family member years ago that married into our family and this person was not a christ follower but they had a lot of of spiritual questions and and they actually studied the book of romans they studied the book of romans with a pastor got to the end of it and just could not understand why someone needed to die for them And and it was really kind of based on this chastity like like, I, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. Yes, you are. But the question then is, how good is good enough? Is it, is it walking, you know, three little old ladies across the street a week or 10 or 20? Is it praying enough? How good is good enough? It's tough for many people to get their minds around this idea. You mean I don't have to do anything? That's that's one aspect. Or why did someone have to die for me? Paul then gets into chapter three and he begins it this way. Oh, foolish Galatians. One Bible commentator, J.B. Phillips, he translates that this way. Dear idiots. Paul says, listen, Christ was clearly as if I painted a picture on a canvas for you. Clearly portrayed. He then asks them, he says, listen, go back to your, your salvation story. Go back to when you first came to faith and the Holy Spirit came upon you. Did that happen because you did something? Did that happen because of your wonderful works? Is that how God came to you? And he answers it for him and said, of course not. You know it was through faith. How, how could you be so foolish to believe otherwise. And then he quotes, remember I said he was quoting, goes back to Abraham. He quotes Genesis 15, six, that, that Abraham simply believed in God. God showed up to him directly, gave him a promise of this descendant who would be, who would be a savior of the world. And the Bible says that Abraham received that, but he just, he simply believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Look at verse seven. He says, the real children of Abraham, <laughs> the real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. Essentially, Paul's saying, listen, if those Judaizers come through town again who think they're the real children of Abraham, you, you tell them who the, the actual real Children of Abraham are to which the Judaizers and any God-fearing Jew would say, "Wait a minute, Paul!" I mean, th- they would be they would be having a lobotomy right now. There, there is no way that they would easily get their minds. You're telling me, Paul, that thousands and thousands of years of my lineage and history and everything, the theology and the doctrine I've been taught, and the festivals that I've celebrated with my family, and the dietary laws and circumcision. You're pulling the rug out from All of that? You're saying I'm not a true child of Abraham? Are you kidding me? I think we can see better see now why these Judaizers actually came in and followed. They had such a hard time with Paul's message and yet Paul sticks to his guns and he says, that's exactly what I'm saying. It isn't all of those things that that set you in right relationship with God. It's through faith and faith alone in who? In Jesus, and then verse 8, he says this, what's more? He goes on, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their, not their works, because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Pastor Brandon, what's the point here? I think Paul is saying salvation through faith was the plan all along. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ was the plan all along. And Paul now begins to argue from the law. And I, and I want to give us a disclaimer. I've read this section over and over, different angles, different translations. And we, we have to admit, friends, that there are just some things historically and culturally very difficult to understand. In fact, any theologian, deep thinker worth kind of worth their salt would admit that there are some things here that we may not fully understand theologically, doctrinally, culturally, this side of heaven. But I think there are some things that we can Get our heads around. He, he he says in verse thirteen, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I hit in week one that this is known today as a substitutionary atonement. The Bible says in Romans three again, Paul, Romans three twenty three. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three. There's a payment for that. It's death. And Jesus said, "I'll die. I'll do it. I'll insert myself. I'll become the substitute and make that payment." Friends, this is, I I said that so so quickly and 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 so so simply, but but this is such a a beautiful, wonderful, complex, mysterious, and yet concrete study. It's it's known, um, you know, kind of in in maybe theological terms as atonement theology. What was really accomplished at the cross? It's an incredible study. But I want us to look. In particular, at verses 17 to 19, Paul goes back to Abraham and he begins to argue from the law to refute the law, which is an absolute stroke of genius on the part of the apostle Paul because he turns the tables on the Judaizers who are trying to use the the same law to enslave these Gentiles and force them back into a gospel of due, a gospel of works. Uh, I, I wonder if you have ever had someone take your use the chassis of your argument to refute your argument. All right, it can be frustrating at times. You don't want to you know, pull your hair out. Many of you are aware of a young uh, theologian and prophetess named Cindy Lou Who, uh, who got into a debate in uh, the movie The Grinch with the mayor of Whoville, who tried to utilize the book of, who to marginalize the Grinch and to keep the Grinch from becoming the uh, cheermeister of the annual Christmas jubilation? Uh, take a look at this clip. Let me uh, quote a verse from the book of who. Thank you. Ah, the term Grinchy shall apply when Christmas spirit is in short Supply now I ask you, does that sound like our holiday cheer,meister? True, Mr. Mayhu. But the book of who says this too. No matter how different a who may appear, you will always be welcome with holiday cheer. Well, yes, but well the, the uh, book also says the, uh, the award cannot go to the grinch because sometimes uh, things get the lead pipe cinch it doesn't say that. Oh, no, 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 it does. <gasps> what page? Ah, <sighs> uh, oops, lost my, uh, my, my place, but it's, <clears throat> it's, it's in here. But the book does say, the cheermeister is the one who deserves a backslap or a toast. Mm. And it goes to the soul at Christmas who needs it most. And I believe that soul is the Grinch. A brilliant move on the part of our young theologian to argue from the book of who, to refute the book of who. And so these Judaizers, in the same way the apostle Paul uh, comes along, these Judaizers, like the mayor of Whoville, uh, wants to use the law. They want to go to the law to set up their argument. And so Paul actually, they play right into Paul's hands. Paul's an expert in the law, so he plays along. And he says, listen, the the law came 430 years after the promise. Remember I said sequence, historical sequence and opposing principles. The opposing principle is the law and the promise, but which came first sequentially? And, And Paul says, listen, it came to Abraham. The promise came to Abraham three ways. It came personally from God. There was no mediator like the law with Moses. It came directly from god number one number two it came before he was circumcised and number three it came 430 years before the law abraham was given the promise here's here's another thing that might be on your test on your final (laughs) the promise was given to abraham in genesis 15 he was circumcised in genesis 17 right and so i might ask it this way which you know which came first genesis 15 or genesis 17 to which all of us would say of course it's genesis 15 and this is a death nail friends why is that important this is a death nail to the judaizers this argument the teachers who want everyone to be circumcised first so that they can receive the promise of salvation in christ paul says Abraham wasn't even circumcised when he received the promise of Jesus and his salvation. And not only that, but it came hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the law. And then Paul anticipates, as we mentioned a couple of questions, you know, what what purpose then does the law, if we have the promise, why do we need the law? And so when the law sequentially in the historical timeline caught up with the law, what now, now that we have the law, maybe we can get rid of the promise. And Paul says, no, it's a legally binding contract because God made the promise. And so it stays, it comes alongside both until we get to the cross. So, so Paul, he, he said, okay, what was the purpose? Now we, we kind of, we know the purpose of the promise was the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law, he says, is the guardian. Elsewhere in scripture, he, he referred to it as a tutor, like a tutor who would come to your house and, and they would get their glasses out and they would tutor you in a subject and they'd get their red click pen out and they would say, you got that wrong. He got that wrong. And he got that wrong. It's what the law does. It points out every, the, the way that we're not living life correctly. All the ways that we don't add up in God's eyes, all the ways that we're not in proper relationship with God. And so, boy, if I, friends, listen, if I could summarize the book of Romans, this might be irresponsible to do. Romans is probably the height of Paul's theology. If I could summarize um, another book, of the Bible that Paul wrote Romans in one sentence, I'd probably summarize it this way. Paul would say, I followed the law, and it led me to Jesus. (laughs) I followed the law. It was a tutor that led me to Jesus. So if you can visualize a timeline, here we have Abraham who received the promise by faith before there was a law, before he was circumcised. Sequentially, he received the promise by faith. In the timeline, it catches up 430 years later. He, he he's circumcised, and then and then he catches up 430 years later to the law. We keep both, they come alongside one another until we get to the cross of Jesus Christ. And while we the, the picture that Paul paints is this: they stay together, they come alongside, they teach different messages. The the law is kind of angry. The law points a finger. You did that wrong and you did that wrong. And you know, you didn't have tassels on your robe and you cut your hair and you didn't wash your hands and you're not circumcised. It tells us everything that we've done wrong, right? It becomes a tutor going, telling us, man, I, I, I can't do it on my own. But the promise tells us all at the same time, God loves you. And there's a descendant coming. His name is Jesus. And then the law speaks up again and says, you got that wrong, and you got that wrong, and you got that wrong. And the promise speaks up and says, yeah, but God loves you. And there's a descendant coming. His name is Jesus. So what's the application, Cove Church? Well, probably many. Number one, I think I could hear the Apostle Paul, if we if he was standing here today, and we would say, Paul, just make it simple for us. What would it be? I think Paul would say, well, number one, works don't work when it comes to salvation, works do not work. Number two, all the law can do is point a finger. All the promise can do is point to Jesus. Number three, justification by faith. This doctrine of the justification of faith that Paul is so passionately laying out and defending, it's helpful to us In several ways. Number one, it informs our confidence. Number two, it informs our message. And number three, it informs our timing. It informs our confidence in this way. The work is already done. I don't have to do it. Remember remember the law that points out all the things that I've done wrong. Well, what do I do now? You know, I don't, you're telling me I don't have to get my little mechanical pencil out and figure out some mathematical formula or I don't have to, you know, walk enough little old ladies across the street. Is it hundred? Is it 200? Is it 500? Is it a certain amount throughout my life? Do I have to serve enough? Do I have to pray enough? Do I have to read my Bible enough? It informs our confidence that work, Cove Church, is done. Salvation is done. Number two, it informs our message. It's really, really simple. It's wonderfully, beautifully mysterious and awesome, but it is simple. The Judaizers message was incredibly complex. It was Jesus and all of these things. So when your friend comes along, why do I bring this up? When your friend comes along and has questions about faith, we can make it very simple or we can make it extremely complicated. And we get really anxious about that message, but there's something it informs my message If I will just accept this doctrine of justification by faith, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And finally, it informs our timing. Remember back in chapter one, when the apostle Paul goes back to his own salvation story, he said, but when it pleased God. And so that friend, you know, there's there's our timing and then there's God's timing. And that that friend or that loved one that we want to see come to faith in Jesus, and it seems like it's taking forever, but we want to see them come into a loving relationship with Jesus. There's something, ab- we can trust God and his timing that that person eventually will come to this conclusion that maybe, you know what, maybe I'm, I'm not good enough. Maybe, you know, I, I can't save myself. I, I can't do it alone. I actually need a savior. I need Jesus. Maybe I'll call my friend. So Cove Church, what would be your response maybe i could give you a couple to choose from number one give up on doing for salvation but don't give up on doing because of salvation some of you you are exhausted because you're trying to make yourself in proper relationship with god through your human effort and your works number two give up on the complicated message of salvation it's jesus plus zero equals the true gospel the good news that jesus loves you number three Give up on your timing, but never give up on God's timing in your life and someone else's life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this passionate defense from the Apostle Paul that informs our our, our thinking and informs our life today. Lord, thank you for the pressure relief valve that this hits, that this is a gospel of done. It's through faith and belief in you. It's, it's, it's not what I can do or how I can add up. It's because of you and your work that's done. God, we give up on trying to do but we don't give up on doing because of salvation. In fact, it's it's your kindness and it's your forgiveness and it's the beauty and majesty of salvation that would cause us to say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. Lord, we commit as a church to uncomplicate the message of your love. And finally, Lord, we trust your timing. We don't give up on your timing. In our life, some of us may be hanging by a thread. We don't give up on your timing, and we don't give up on our loved ones that we want to see come to faith in you, in Jesus' mighty name. And friends, I, I just have this sense that maybe some of you may be tuning in for the first time, and 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 you would say, you know, Brandon, I'm I'm actually I'm actually one that you talked about. I, I I've not crossed the line of faith, but I, I just. I, I, I didn't realize that it was nothing that I had to do. I, th- I thought I had to do to add up to God. I thought there was something specific that I had to do. But if you're telling me it's simply a matter of belief and trust in God, I'm all about that. Um, would you pray for me? Yes, in fact, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer of conf- a confession of faith, if you will. The very thing that the Apostle Paul talked about here in Galatians and that he would talk about in Romans 10, 9 and 10. And so maybe just so you can hear the sound of your own voice, I want you to pray, pray this prayer. And, and while you're at it, maybe down in the lower right hand part of your screen, there's a, I think a little button that says, you know, I, w- I want to raise my hand. I want to acknowledge that, uh, I want to cross the line of faith and that I believe in Jesus today would you would you click that button so we we have a team of pastors standing by who would love to just engage with you pray with you if you would like let's pray together jesus i need you i can't do it on my own though i've tried i accept your gift of salvation this promise that you gave to abraham thousands of years ago i receive it today by faith Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for your goodness. Show me how to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Bless you, Cope Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.